This is Author Talk, presented by Author House, the leading provider of services to help authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. Author Talk is a show about new books and the authors who wrote them. It's an opportunity for prospective readers to hear directly from the writers, to hear what inspired them to write and publish, and to hear all the inside details about their books. Here is Author Talk with host Steve Jorgensen. This is Author Talk. My name is Brian Houston. We're glad you're here with us today, and we're going to be talking with a gentleman who has a, gone through an unspeakable tragedy uh, in a number of ways and uh, decided to write a book about it. And as we talk today, you'll find out why he decided to uh, open up his soul, I guess, to uh, share what uh, his experience was and uh, what he hopes to accomplish with this book. The name of the book is Missing the Links. And uh, the subtitle is very blunt, A Mother's Murder of My 17-Month-Old Son Garrison. It is written by Gregory Burchett, and we are very glad to have him with us right now from his home in California. Gregory, thank you very much for being on with us today. Thank you, Brian. I appreciate this opportunity. The uh, title pretty much says it all, and uh, in the, if you, anybody wants to Google uh, your family name and the name of your son Garrison, they're going, going to find a, a pretty um, hor- horrendous story of the murder of your son by your um, ex-wife, I assume ex-wife, is that correct? Yeah. Okay. Um, and um, this took place back in 2009, so first of all, tell us what you can and what you're willing to share about uh, what exactly happened? Well, um, my wife uh, began experiencing um, a psychological spiral, and it resulted in her uh, killing our son, who was 17 months old at the, at the time. And when it happened, um, I... Uh, um, was absolutely I felt like I was drowning. I didn't know what to do and I didn't know how to react. Um and I started writing a journal in on my computer just so that I wouldn't forget anything. I was I was concerned for the trial and I was concerned for the future um of my son and I didn't of my surviving son, uh Gregory, and I didn't know uh what to do and it started out as just an, an aid to memory, but it, then it quickly turned into um, a way for me to put my frustrations and my anger at myself and at what had happened. Um, and when the trial was done and when the appeal was denied, um, the defense strategy uh, centered on um, uh, mental insanity and the same defense team that was used, mental, um, psychological defense team that was used on the Andrea Yates case was also used on my ex-wife's case as well. And, but in California, the standard for criminal insanity uh, was not met. And so Lori, um, Garrison's mother, was convicted of murder and she's currently serving time in prison. And it was about a year and a half ago when I considered um, perhaps writing a book to share my story, and I think the thing that really convinced me to move forward with it was that there was very little written from a man's perspective or from the husband's perspective, and I just um, wanted to um, share 
my experiences of the things that I saw, of the things that I overlooked at the time, and the um, the aftermath and how I tried to rebuild my life uh, in order to help others. Um, I think this is uh, mental illness. Um, I, I, it's hard to believe that there's no one who has not been touched by it in some way with a family member or a friend or themselves. And my sincere hope is that I can prevent tragedies like this from happening in the future. Now, I, I read in uh, some of the background information that you initially were having a difficult time coming up with uh, the, the title for the book because I think it was something along the lines of I married a psycho and I tried to make it work. Is that pretty close to what you Yeah, it was, it was kind of a sarcastic <clears throat> statement that a, a dear friend of mine and I, when we were on the phone, um, he uh, jokingly um, had said after I had uh, counseled a couple of uh, get-togethers with him and his family, he said, man, you're afraid of commitment. And I said, what are you trying <laughs> – I, I, I laughed at the time, and I said, hey, I married a psycho killer, and I tried to make wow. it work. You know, what do you mean I, I am afraid of commitment? And we there was a moment of hesitation, and then we both laughed. And uh, um, But it was – it was the initial working title for the book, but then I, after some consultation with some people that I trust and stuff, um, I wanted it to be more um, serious and I wanted it to be more um, optimistic somewhere in there that I chose missing the links because of the things that I missed in seeing my wife's downward spiral at the time and the things that I could have done had I known uh, perhaps some of the things that she was going through, maybe I could have averted this tragedy had I stepped up and understood um, how serious it really was. How long, how long had you been married at the time that you noticed or maybe didn't notice some things were going on with your wife? Uh, we had been married about three years when her behavioral patterns um, started to change. And um, we had had another son together, um, Gregory, um, and there were no discernible differences. I mean, we were just living our lives trying to um, plan for the future. But when Garrison was born, um, her perspectives changed quite a bit on multiple things, from professional goals to where we wanted to live to um, uh, her trying to find her happiness within herself, um, her spiritual happiness. And she started to express that she was becoming more and more lost in what she was looking for in life. And um, she had had some uh, anger issues and some controlling issues that seemed to be heightened during this time. It was, it was the last year um, or so prior to Garrison's passing that things really started getting, um, um, uh, they became, they, they started getting to a point where I was lost and I did not know what to do. Did you in any way see that uh, something as horrific as what took place with your ex-wife and your son, did you did you have any way of seeing that something like that could potentially happen? No, and I really want people to understand that up to this point, she had never shown any physical um, abusive tendencies or anything like that. 
um, it became apparent when I was reading through things that she had put on her computer that I had not seen prior to the murder, it became apparent that she had started thinking some weird thoughts and she had been typing them down. But she never expressed those to me until right before uh, Garrison's passing, that last two weeks or three weeks, that our conversations became very um, very hard for me to understand where she was coming from. But in, in at no time had I thought that she was capable of hurting any of her children. And then um, in doing some background uh, reading on this, uh, your son uh, saw his little brother after the fact, after he'd been murdered. Um, and uh, even if I'm reading it right, uh, it looked like a pretty normal morning. He played with him for a little while. Um, and then the mother took your son off into a back room someplace and and whatever happened happened and and your son finally uh i guess broke the door open or whatever to see uh his little brother laying there um yeah what kind of impact has that had on him how is he doing well um this was my stepson nick okay. and uh he was um uh 15 or so at the time and it had a it's been very traumatic in his life um you're absolutely right. They they started the morning. It was supposed to be a normal day. Um, he was he was supposed to uh, go to school that day, um, but Lori decided to keep him home. And he woke up in the morning. He played with Garrison. They had a nice morning. But then um, when Lori came out, she was um, in a distraught state, and took Garrison to the back master bedroom and instructed Nick to uh, sit on the couch. And um, he believes that he heard the moment when Garrison died. Mm. And it was shortly thereafter that she came out um, uh, in, in, a, in a mental state that w is hard to describe. But she, <clears throat> as Nick would say, was crazy at that time. Sure. And that's when he went back and he actually discovered Garrison's body and um at this point nick was um he did not know what to do um he went back into the living room and sat there for the rest of the day into the evening um in shock he was afraid to call for help he was afraid to call me he didn't know what to do he was concerned that his mother would come out and try to hurt him um and i just can't imagine the I can't imagine what was going through his mind during that day. And even that evening when I came home, prior to my discovering Garrison's body, uh, Nick was still in a state of shock at that time. And um, it's it's been difficult on him. Um, the normal trials of growing up as a teenage boy, and then you overlay on this what his mother did. And um, he lost his mother that day, in addition to losing his younger brother. Um, He's doing better now. He's in college. He's trying to rebuild his life, but it's been it it has been really hard on him. And um, and he, in my mind, he, he he was hurt the worst out of this tragedy. Other than Garrison, he was he was traumatized the worst. I, I can't even imagine. Uh, again, um, seeing and and uh, without getting into a lot of detail, or uh, leaving it up to you to determine how much detail you want to give, but uh, 
The baby brother had been, uh, I guess uh, they determined that he died of blunt force trauma to the head. Is that correct? Yes. And then it was a ritual. Uh, he, 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 he either passed from the blunt force trauma um, or shortly thereafter. Mm-hmm. But Lori also um, uh, performed um, a ritualistic um, I, I don't know if ceremony is the right word, but mm-hmm. in a ritualistic fashion, she also um, uh, opened up his abdomen. Wow. Um, and so uh, there was, either he was dead at the time that she actually entered his body, or he died shortly thereafter. I'm sure the book covers all of this, but uh, there are so many things here that I, I, I have to imagine were just, um, it must have taken years to get your head around, A, uh, losing your son, B, losing your son in such a horrific fashion. Uh, C, the realization that the woman that you've been married to had done this to your son. Um, Then on top of that, having to look after your other son to make sure that he's okay. And and how, how were you able to keep it all together? Were you able to keep it all together uh, under such an enormous burden? Uh, on so many different levels. <clears throat> well, people tell me that I did a wonderful job um, from the outside. Um, I um, kept things together. I, I brought in people to help me as much as I could. I think that is one of the best advi- pieces of advice I can have for someone is to bring in people that you trust and let them help you make decisions. Um, I think I was I was um, on cruise control, I did not know what to do. Um, my surviving, my other son, who's Gregory, who was two years older than Garrison, um, it was his well-being that was a primary driving force to keep me going every day. And up through the time of the trial, um, all I could, it took everything I could do to wake up in the morning, to feed him, to get him to daycare, to to just try to just keep my life going, not even thinking about myself or thinking about rebuilding my life. Um, but as time passed, um, I uh, started relying more and more on other people for Gregory's best interest. Um, I got him psychological help, which is very difficult to do, is to find someone who can help a child deal with trauma um, I was able to get him help, and I, I got myself help as much as I could. Um, it's, it's like you get into a, um, you're just fighting for your life mode, and then it took a while for me to think about um, dealing with my pain other than just my normal daily activities. And not to mention that, but uh, I think what the trial took about two years? It was It was about two years when the trial started. Okay. The actual murder phase for the trial was done relatively quick. Um, there was not a lot of um, uh, controversy whether she was responsible for his death. Um, but it was the insanity phase that took a little bit longer, and that's the one that concentrated on her mental state at the time of the murder. So, again, you know, uh, dealing with all that you're dealing with and then having to relive this in a, a very public fashion... Uh, in a courtroom, reporters, obviously, the, the story gained uh, national attention. Um, how did you come out of this thing? Um, 
in some ways I think I'm stronger. Um, in some ways I think I'm more empathetic to what people go through. I think that my sharing this story has helped me help others. Um, I've had um, quite a few people um, express to me that reading my book helped them gain clarity in their lives. Um, I've been able to help other fathers whose wives were starting to show signs of mental illness and they were able to get their wives help prior to something bad happening. Uh, I've made presentations to uh, medical professionals and psychological professionals um, where I've tried to uh, support their efforts as much as I can. Um, I think if good can come out of tragedy, I think that my example is one that that I've been able to reach out and help others, and and that has helped me as well. To help other people has helped me get over my grief and my tragedy. Um, I there's a um, production company who has expressed interest in my writing a screenplay, and so we're we may be looking at a movie based on this book, and um, so there may be. Um, some good things coming out of this overall. But I think at the, at the root base of, of what I'm trying to do is I'm really just trying to, uh, there's such a public um, stigma about mental health and especially the thought of a mother um, hurting her child. There's nothing more sacred uh, in society than a mother's love for her child. And I think that if we recognize that a woman can go through a lot of things during pregnancy or after pregnancy and and it's okay to expect those changes <clears throat> they may not be to the extreme of a mother hurting her child but oftentimes women have um, thoughts of of, of um, disassociation and and they're supposed to love this child but they don't feel connected to it and and um, uh, there's there's a lot in the professional literature about about how much women really do go through, and I think it's so important that we all recognize that women can go through this, and and how can we help them? How can we prevent this tragedy from ever happening again? Unbelievable story. Um, tell me what was the most challenging thing about writing this book? Um. I think the hardest thing was to try to write it in a way that was not too graphic, that would um, give the reader an opportunity to live those moments with me and to share my experience, but in a way that I hope comes across as being optimistic overall, that anyone can go through tragedy and find the strength to move on, and anyone can deal with life and even though this is an extreme example of the pain that life can bring everybody experiences pain and loss and some form of betrayal and I think that that was the hardest thing for me to have in there is not not have it be about my anger not have it be about my um, just just nothing but pure frustration and and have a negative tone to the whole story. Um, I tried very hard to be um, sharing and as open and as blunt as I could be, 
but I tried to use language that was um, inviting and would make the reader want to read it and keep reading it and to go through that story and to share that with me. And um, I, that was difficult to do, but I, I do think that um, I was quite um, successful in, in that overall uh, vision. How long did it take you to get to that, um, that positive place? Uh, how long did it take you to get beyond the anger, and how do you deal with that in this book? Um, I think actually writing the book, I dealt with my anger um, because I had to watch my words. And that file that I mentioned before, the journal that I started, was over 400,000 words when I first opened it up and used it as the basis of the book. And I just was able to purge all of that anger that I had written down and typed. I would just cut it out. I cut it out. And it was kind of like I was purging that from my emotions as well. And um, it took about four months for me to write, eh, two or three months to write the book, and then had a couple revisions. But um, when I decided to do it, I, I jumped on it, and I was able to do it in a, in a fairly fairly quick fashion. But I do think that writing the book helped me to, to um, get rid of my anger that I was experiencing at the time. I was, I was very, very mad at myself, and I was very mad at what she had done. And, um, and I still deal with that to a certain extent. Um, the pain has never gone away, um, but I think my um, my anger definitely has subsided. Well, it's a it's an unbelievable story. Um, is there anything that I've left out uh, that you'd like to uh, cover before we kind of wind this thing down? Um, I think I think to reiterate that that it's normal to expect people to have psychological issues throughout their life. It's not normal to expect that somebody would hurt somebody else. And I think the power in this conversation is when a woman is pregnant and she's talking with her OB or talking with the nurses and talking with her family or friends to actually say, you know, that I'm not feeling quite right today and then have that support group around them. I think one of the biggest things I'm trying to do is get the medical um, establishment more willing to ask tougher questions like how are you sleeping have you had any thoughts of hurting your child those type of things with nurses and with physicians and the more that we can open up this conversation and make women feel more comfortable in talking about um, in talking about their actual feelings and emotions during and after pregnancy I think that we could we could really go a long ways um, to help people to avoid to avoid something like this happening ever again. I never want somebody to lose a child due to um, mental health issues, and I think that the more people that understand and the more people that know, then the more that we can help. And that's really the the that's really the message that I want to get out there. Where can people find this book? It's uh, located on Author House uh, on their website. It's also um, on Barnes & Noble and on Amazon. Uh, many local bookstores have them in different places, um, but it's widely available. 
Gregory Burchett, that the uh, name of the book is Missing the Links, uh, Mother's Murder of My 17-Month-Old Son Garrison. It's published by Author House. Um, Greg, I, I, I just can't even uh, begin to uh, uh, verbalize uh, how uh, brave you are for uh, doing this uh, and uh, how much um, I admire the fact that uh, you've come through something like this in such a positive manner and are willing to share that story uh, with, you know, trying to turn something uh, tragic into something good, uh, and you are to uh, be commended for it, no question. Thank you so much. I, I really appreciate it. Um, I, I did fail to mention I do have a website of the same name for the book, so if people would like to go there and, and maybe make a comment on Facebook or something like that, I I really would love feedback from people um, to share their experiences or their impressions of what they have read, and I would appreciate that. Thank you. Okay, so the, the website is literally named Missing the Links? Yeah, missingthelinks.com, yes. Very good. Okay, I want to make sure everybody can find the website. And again, be sure and pick up the book, Missing the Links, A Mother's Murder of My 17-Month-Old Son Garrison. It's published by Author House. The author is Gregory Burchett. Gregory, thank you very much again for sharing your story. We appreciate it. Uh, We wish you the best. And uh, again, you are in our thoughts and prayers as you and your family continue to uh, try to uh, heal and recover from uh, an awful tragedy. I really appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you so much. You too. This is Brian Houston. Thank you very much for listening to Author Talk. You're listening to Author Talk. We'll be back right after these messages. Have you heard? The pages of American Patchwork and Quilting Magazine come to life on our new weekly online radio show, American Patchwork and Quilting. Join Pat Sloan, our blogging and quilt designer host, as she talks about the latest trends, ideas, and inspirations. Her guests include quilt pattern designers, authors, quilt shop owners, and our editors. All quilters, just like you. Call in with your questions. Get quilting tips from industry experts. Learn about free patterns. Hear behind-the-scenes stories from our magazines, American Patchwork and Quilting, Quilt Sampler, and Quilts and More. Get the scoop on free stuff and find out more about the best independent quilt shops in North America. To listen to a live show, tune in Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern. Just log on to allpeoplequilt.com radio. To hear past shows, go to iTunes and search for American Patchwork and Quilting Radio. We hope you'll join us because we know that quilting changes everything. Welcome back to Author Talk, brought to you by Author House, helping authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. Hello and welcome to another edition of Author Talk. My name is Brian Houston, and today we are going to be talking golf, uh, which is not one of my favorite subjects because of the, because of the uh, amount of wasted money I have invested in this game over the years. But uh, I am very happy to talk uh, about the book. It is entitled The Legend of Joe Golfer, A Salute to the Regular Player. Uh, I don't even fit in that category. But the author of the book is Chris Kalwa, and we are talking to him from his home in uh, the uh, Canada area, uh, t- uh, Toronto, Ontario, correct? That's correct. Chris, thank you very much for being on with us, first of all. Uh, the legend, Pleasure being here. Thanks so much. The Legend of Joe Golfer, a salute to the regular player. Uh, I want to talk, first of all, just about the title. What's this book about? 
This book is about uh, my personal tribute to all of those uh, regular recreational players out there, whether whether you're a beginner, you're an intermediate, or you're uh, more advanced in your playing, you, you've got a decade or two under your belt, and you're still having a you know rough time with your game, as as all regular players do. Uh, this this is this book was written for all of those players in mind. Are you a golf pro or are you a regular player? No, I'm not. <laughs> no, I'm not a golf pro. Okay. Uh, I think if I were a golf pro, I'd be writing a different kind of book. Uh, I'm I'm an average golfer. Um, I, I have a decent handicap. It goes up, it goes down, depending on how frequently I play. And um, lately, uh, because I've been working on this book uh, quite intensely, I haven't really played as much golf uh, as I as I want to. I did play some golf in California this summer. Uh, went went uh, went down there to celebrate my brother's 60th birthday, and actually I shot pretty good. So uh, uh, I'm kind of able to turn my game on uh, when I need to. Um, but uh, no, I I don't consider myself. Uh, uh, a frequent uh, visit, visitor to, to the links. Okay. Uh, now, I will tell you just uh, personally, uh, I play about once every five years because it's so discouraging that I can't even get the clubs back out after I go out. Uh, and then I gauge my golf game by the number of golf balls I leave home with and the number I come home with. Okay, and trust me, that number is uh, greatly subtracted by the time the day's over. So, is this a book for me? It is a book for you because one of the one of the uh, reasons I wrote the book, other than saluting the regular player, and, and, and I can get into that a little bit later, but but essentially, I didn't want to write a how-to book. I think the the the, the, uh, the golf world is filled with how-to books. I wanted to write a story-based book that infuses suggestions and tips along the way in story form, so that when you're reading it. You can say, ah, okay, I've been in that scenario. I've, 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 I have a, a section about bunker madness where you hit your ball <laughs> in the bunker and you go crazy. Um, so these are scenarios that every single uh, regular player goes through. Mm-hmm. And uh, when you read the stories, you can relate to them. And then when I talk about anecdotes, how to, how to uh, approach that strategy a little better and play your shot better, then uh, it, it resonates with with regular players okay so in these stories these true stories people you know or experiences that you've had yourself these are stories that uh, are not only uh, experienced by myself there are stories that are experienced by other Joel uh, golfers in the book uh, that that I played with uh, they, they were uh, working friends uh, they, they were you know I have two brothers uh, in the story, uh, Richie and Eddie. Uh, they're in the story as well. Actually, Eddie opens up the book with, uh, uh, I call him Eddie the Kamikaze Striker K, and he <laughs> opens up uh, the book with a story that if you won't believe, even when you read it, you're not going to believe it. You think I made it up, but it actually <laughs> happened. All of these stories happened except my alien story. I have to confess that really didn't happen, but I, I kind of uh, used my creative imagination to write about aliens coming down to watch the Masters and and uh, interpreting the game and trying to figure out. And that was the whole point of the story was I was writing uh, in a chapter about to someone that doesn't view golf, uh, it, it can be uh, confusing, like aliens coming down and figuring it out. And then I said, speaking of aliens, and I end up 
segueing into an alien story. So, well, you know, um, and, and when you think about this, I mean, an, from an alien perspective, uh, <laughs> an, an alien looking at uh, some of us who play golf and going out and saying, "Okay, these are people who are going out to have fun," and then they hear so much profanity and golf club throwing and <laughs> and frustration, an alien must get real entertainment out of this. Well, yeah, exactly, and I and I think that um, uh, one of the one of the re and and you know you you, you got to wonder why it's like that when you're on the on the golf course, and and the reason is, uh, and I talk about this in the book, it, it's it's because you have a lot of shotless time, and what I mean by that is, you actually spend about forty five minutes during a four and a half typical four and a half hour round of golf. Uh, actually preparing to hit your shot and and engaging uh, addressing the ball and hitting hitting your shot so there's only about 45 minutes where you're actually doing that all the other time is shotless time where you're walking to your shot or you're walking to the next uh, you know to the to the next uh, tee off spot and during that time your mind wanders and you have a lot of time to put crazy negative thoughts in your head and self-defeating thoughts and and basically you know bang yourself up pretty good and that's why I can't think of any other sport really that that uh, that's set up that way. Can you? No, and we call this fun. <laughs> that's right. Well, that, that's why I include a, a section in the book uh, called the Nineteenth Hole Lounge, and there's a reason for that. Uh, Amen. Now, I'm not encouraging you know people to become alcoholics, although that might help. Uh, but basically, um, golf is also another sport where. If you put things in proper perspective, and and you if you when you have a bad shot moment, rather rather than I mean if you go berserk momentarily and you you uh, you regain your composure later on, you can laugh at it, and that's what most regular players do. They get together, and, and you know they have a beer or, or sit down, have some food, whatever, and then they uh, they share stories back and forth. And and that's that's the beauty of the game. It allows you to reflect back on it, and and then basically admit to yourself, look, it wasn't such a big deal. As a matter of fact, that crazy moment I'm going to remember for the rest of my life. I'm sure you have some of those moments. Oh, as well, absolutely, right? absolutely, <laughs> many many of them. As a matter of fact, most of them spent in the woods, by the way. So I just want you to know. That's uh, right. You feel like a lumberjack uh, out there. Oh, uh, uh, listen, it's uh, it's pretty common. Believe me, I think I ought to take a tent when I go golfing. So um, a- anyway. Uh, I also would it be fair to say that uh, this is more than just a golf book. This is is almost a, a golf slash self help slash positive thinking kind of a book, and, and also a fitness guide. Um, yeah, I, I think it, it, it's it's all rolled up together like in a Philly cheese steak sandwich kind of thing. Okay. Um, and basically, um, the way that I set up the book is it, it's it's in four journeys, and you have to take these four separate journeys. Journey one is section one of the book where you discover about yourself and you're creating your own legend. And when, when I say legend, I don't mean legend as in I'm famous, uh, legend as in story. So it's really uh, the story of Joel Golfer is what the title means. And so you're creating your own legend and you're actually asking yourself why you play this stupid game in the first place. <laughs> you know, you've, you've got to really ask yourself why you spent all that time. And, and of course, a lot of people that are obsessive about it, and I talk about this as well, you know, they take time away from work, uh, work friends, uh, friends that they've grew, grow, grown up with, uh, spouses, and uh, to, to a lot of people, it's an escape. And I think, uh, uh, I think, to if you go to that extreme, it, it doesn't really do you any favors. Now, have you ever written a book before? 
never. I've I've always uh, I've always had a few book ideas in me. Um, I've written amazing essays in university, and um, it, it's one of these things where you put it on a bucket list, and you you hope that somewhere down the line, the opportunity presents itself where you can you can have the the time to to sit down and, and write a book. And and actually, what what uh, what sparked me uh, into writing this book was that I've had all these ideas in my head five years prior to actually sitting down and writing the first word to this book. These ideas started accumulating, and that, and I realized that golf is a unique game where people do uh, build up stories. And I've I've golfed with people that have been uh, regular players over 20 years, and and the stories that they have, you could sit down with them and. They can talk to you for four hours about all their stories, <laughs> and that's what really uh, that's what really interested me in terms of a book idea. That I, I thought, wow, this would make a great idea, a great story idea for a book where any regular recreational player, and there's there's got to be about sixty to seven million regular recreational uh, golfers around the world. And if you, I mean, if you think about that, think about how many stories can be shared by by everyone. And and so I got excited by that possibility, and I thought, well, let's let's kind of start a movement. Uh, and and I refer to Joe Golfers as being members of the global golfing community of Joe Golfer Nation. And I, I, I what I what I mean by that is you know golfers around the world. You Absolutely. Know? And and so, and we're we're not that much. Uh, we've got more similarities than differences on the golf course. So uh, with this book. Um... What's your ultimate goal? What do you want your readers to uh, to take away from a book like this? I mean, obviously, it's to entertain. Uh, the stories themselves entertain. But what are the what's the ultimate goal beyond that, if there is one? Um, ultimately, I want to inspire people. I want this to be an inspiring story, uh, whereby uh, especially those golfers that are getting discouraged and they're thinking about not playing. I think that if you read The Legend of Joe Golfer, uh, it's, it's going to spark your enthusiasm uh, about the possibility of enjoying the game. And, and I talk about certain ways that you can enjoy the, the, the game a lot better. In one chapter, I talk about, I list 10 suggestions uh, about enhancing your enjoyment for golf. And uh, I, I think that if, if anyone even follows a couple of those, uh, it, it's going to continue your enjoyment and your wanting to, to, to get out there and play. Now, throughout the book, uh, you keep returning to three central golf themes, uh, which you sprinkle uh, from the beginning to the end of the story. Uh, one was, uh, I think, be the best golfer and person you can be. Uh, and I'll let you elaborate. Well, I think what I mean by that, you know, and the whole idea, I got this from, obviously, from Star Trek, you know, to, to boldly go where, where no one has gone before. Um, I, I, I grew up watching that show, and, and, I, and I loved it, and, I, and it really taught me the lesson that, you know, if you're going to do anything in your life, you might as well be the best that you can be at it. Why go through something and just just do it half-assed? Excuse my sure. French. Uh, <laughs> basically... Do it the best way you can, and when you refer, when you when you tie that into golf, that's going to allow you to prolong your golf lifestyle. Because I also talk about golf as a life sport that you can golf for the rest of your life as long as you're, <laughs> I say, as long as you're vertical, <laughs> and uh, you don't fall over after your swing, you can still play. 
You know, that's the beautiful thing. Like if you're, uh, you know, if you play football, you can't, you can't get on the gridiron when you're 70 years old. Uh, at least I don't know too many people that can. Or no. in Canada, you, uh, I don't know too many people that are 75, 80 years of age hitting, hitting the ice rink for, for some recreational hockey. <laughs> no. It just doesn't happen as often as, as golfers going on the course and enjoying themselves at a later stage in life. And so that's what I mean by uh, to boldly go where you haven't gone before. And also, you know, just, just to do your best effort and be in the moments. And, and if you can convince yourself when you're making your shot that you've done the best that you could, the best that you, that's all you could do. And then, and then the outcome really after that's out of your control. And if you do that, you're going to really enjoy the game. You're going to take more satisfaction out of the game. You're going to learn. And then it's going to, it's going to carry over into your life because you're going to have that same mindset when you go to work and you're working on a project or a job or uh, whatever, or if you're, or if you're a parent, a mom or a dad. You're going to try to be the best parent that you can be and, and be the best role model. And, and I think that... Uh, I think that that's what I was what, what I was taught. And then when you do that, you're going to discover things that that you've never discovered before. Like that saying, "Nothing ventured, nothing gained." If you if you try something new, even though you say, "Well, you know, I don't want to do that," and you go you go and try it, you might like it, you might love it, and you might open up a whole a whole new avenue of excitement for yourself. And you can find that on the golf course as well, right? Absolutely. Uh, and you also mentioned, I, I, I take it that from the uh, Dead Poet Society, uh, Carpe Diem, seize the, <laughs> seize the day. Well, my, my buddy Mitch, uh, Mitch Shore, uh, and I talk about him in my story. I met him, and, and I, I was kind of like you. I, was, I just came back from a horrendous shoulder injury where I couldn't even pick up a cup of coffee. And uh, I, I had some acupuncture done on it, and, and I'm fixing myself up. So I'm just getting back into playing golf after a long layoff. And I'm hitting balls all over the place, spraying them here, there, over trees, over fences, and I'm cursing and swearing. And he looks at me, and he says, relax, buddy. You just came out for the first time. What do you expect? And he, so he put things into perfect, uh, perfect perspective. And then he said, just enjoy each moment. As much as you can, don't don't worry about your game, and don't worry about what kind of game you're going to play or what kind of score you're going to shoot. Just take it one shot at a time, be in the moment, and enjoy yourself. And you know what? When he told me that, it just turned my whole uh, mindset around uh, regarding the game itself. And then from that point on, I approached golf in that way. Just take one shot at a time, and and, and after all, that's all you can do anyway, right? Absolutely. And then finally, uh, the other theme that you keep coming back to is to take ownership of enhancing your overall quality of life seriously. Explain. Well, I, I, I have a background in uh, physical and health education, I, I, uh, and, and, and I've been a teacher. And, and so for all my life, I, I grew up playing sports, and uh, we were fortunate enough to grow up uh, eating. Uh, you know, I grew up in the in the in the you know 60s through the 70s, and we ate really nutritious foods. This was before the whole fast food trend came around. And 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 uh, obviously, when you read my book, you'll you'll see that I talk about that. And I also know from my teaching experience, uh, from grade four to grade eight, primarily, uh, that I've seen a lot of kids getting bigger bigger and bigger and bigger yes. and they're they're munching on a lot of junk food 
And a lot of my kids, uh, you know, we go typically uh, to, to 3.30 in, in most days in elementary, and by 2 o'clock they're passed out because of the sugar rush from all the foods that they eat. So, you know, it, I felt that I had a moral obligation to talk about that and, and to really, uh, out of, because I care that I want to see future generations of kids getting back to being healthier and not talking about diets, but talking about nutritious food plans. And, and well, and then I say in my book, well, how does that relate to golf? Are you going to become a scratch golfer if you do that? Of course not. But you're going to have the life energy when you go on the golf course from the time you tee off on the first hole uh, until the time you sink your last putt. You're going to play with full energy throughout all of that time, and you're going to enjoy yourself more. And, of course, that carries, carries into the rest of your life. So I, I felt that it was so important that I talk about it, and I've incorporated into a three-stage plan, aerobic conditioning, where you know you, you at least treat yourself to three times, uh, 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 three sessions of aerobic activity per week. Um, I talk about flexibility uh, training, which I do every day, twice a day, before I go to bed and when I wake up. After I wake up, I stretch, and. Uh, being a person that's had knee injuries through tennis and shoulder injuries and I've worked out and I was a crazy man working out with the weights and I've done I used to go in and do you know 40 exercises in one session and, and I would just kill my body like just you know I'd fall apart after that so um, I wanted to make sure that I, I, I uh, leave a message for readers that you can do this in a smart way in a time efficient way you can do it so that you do it gradually and you get to enjoy it. And, and you're, anyone's going to sustain doing something once they enjoy it. And it's all part of enjoying your golf game. And when the, uh, all of the uh, exercises, I've, I've, um, I've borrowed some of these ideas for a, a gentleman by the name of Boris Kuzmich. I mentioned him. He wrote a, a book entitled Fit for Golf. And he, he mentions a series of golf-related um, strength training exercises that you can actually do in the and I suggest doing them in the off season because let's face it most recreational golfers aren't going to do the strength training regimen not not many but some will but not many uh, while they're playing golf because mm -hmm. if, if you happen to live up here uh, you know in the northern hemisphere where we live where your golf season is shorter you want to take advantage and be out and play more and then when winter comes uh, like right now, we just had some snow, and it's we've got you know rainy snow. You're not going to be out there playing golf now, no. so it's it's better to do your strength training regimen in the off season right now. So I talk about all of those in a common sense kind of way. Uh, I don't pretend to be a professional strength uh, trainer, um, and I do recommend that anyone that does consider putting a program together consult with a with a with a strength trainer so that you get professional advice. And, of course, if you're not in shape, if you're one of these people that hasn't been to a gym in 30 years, then you might want to consult with a doctor, get a physical, and, and make sure that you're uh, physically able to, to start one of these programs. So all of these things tie in together, and uh, I really feel that uh, if, if your goal, like me, is to golf, I want to golf till at least I'm 90, I don't know, 95, uh, then by doing all of these things, then it's going to enable me to, to prolong uh, my golf life and, of course, enhance the quality of my life overall, which is more important. So you're right. It's not, it's not just the golf book. It's a holistic approach to living. 
in a, in a healthy, uh, physically active way. And, uh, you know, golf gives you that social engagement to, to, to keep yourself revved up and going. And, and really, I think it's the most enjoyable thing that I've ever done in my life. And I want to do it for as long as, like I said, I, as long as I can keep standing and swing without falling over, uh, I'm, on the, I'm on the course every time. So. Well, I, I get it then that, uh, and just in talking to you, I would think that in reading this book, uh, what I would come away with this would be, uh, this is a guy I would love to hang out with for four and a half hours uh, looking for golf balls. <laughs> well, if you look at the picture in the back of the book, it gives you a clue. I mean, that's the kind of, you know what, when I die, that's the picture I want at my funeral, there you holding go. a Guinness. I'm telling you, that's, you know, because to me, that encapsulates my whole life right there. You can enjoy yourself, but you keep everything in balance. So, you, you, you know, you stay healthy, you have fun, you get, you, you know, you're serious when you have to. But then in the end, you, you, you can't be so serious that you squeeze the fun out of things. And a lot of people get so intense on the golf course. And, and, and my, my, my friend Paul Gill, he was my golf mentor in, in uh, British Columbia in B.C. And when I was getting mad at my golf game, he said to me, relax, my friend. You're not, enough, you're not a good enough golfer to get pissed off at your game. <laughs> now think about that. That's profound. It is profound. <laughs> Like that's, I mean, that might that, that that's like the Aristotle of 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 our modern era. A hundred hundred years from now, I I want golfers to read that quote and say, "Wow, that's 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 right." That goes on my tombstone. <laughs> oh, that's and, and I say in one of my salutes, "Save your save your anger for the heat of competition." Dash when you turn pro. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, when you become a professional, then I think you you've earned the right to get pissed off anytime you want because that's your living and you can sure. do whatever but until then you're a recreational golfer and the whole point of that is to have fun to enjoy yourself well the book sounds like it's a lot of fun is there anything we've left out that you want to cover um i, I just want to say that it's not the type of my message isn't you come across a lot of books and you know, you buy an apparatus and five-minute abs, and you're going to look like, uh, you know, like, like you can go into like a fitness contest. And I'm not advocating that. I'm not saying that, that, this, that this is easy. I'm, I'm saying it's simple, but it's not easy. You have to work at it. It's a process that you have to go through. And I'm, I'm a big advocate of a fundamentally solid golf swing. I'm, I've read Ben Hogan's book, Jack Nicklaus's book, uh, all of these classic guys that talk about a fundamentally solid swing. I originally uh, wrote this book, it was 700 pages. <laughs> and someone said to me, this is bigger than one of those Oxford dictionaries you find in those old universities. It weighs like five pounds. Nobody's going to buy this book. And then another person said to me, are you, are you writing a, a story or an instruction book? And, and I'm saying, well, I'm writing both. And he says, you can't do that. It's too much for, for people to digest. So I, bro I split the book up in half. I actually have the manuscript for the next book, which I get into um, more of the of becoming, uh, evolving into what I call an easy Joe golfer, where you become a more fundamentally solid golfer and you, you can actually uh, shoot better scores. Uh, in a manageable way, and I talk about that. I talk about uh, 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 swing key thoughts, skills, uh, drills, uh, 
you know, all of these things, more, it's, it's a more technical book, but I, I try and maintain the storytelling integrity of the, of the second book that I did in the first one. So it's a transition. This phase right now, what we're talking about today, is just simply enjoying yourself on the golf course as a recreational golfer. And along the way, making basic improvements, I, I get into some helpful tips, but I don't want to get... I don't want the book to sound like a Golf Digest book. You know what I mean? Absolutely. So, Absolutely. so this is the kind of book that uh, that people can read, and as they're reading, they're going to get amazing, simple little tips that are, that are going to make profound differences in improving how they play. Now, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to sound like Tony Robbins. I, I love the guy, but uh, but I'm not Tony. My name is Chris. And I just want to let recreational golfers know that those simple little tips, those simple little adjustments in golf, well, think about it. If, you, if you're hitting your ball and you open up your face, right, yeah. just, a, just a millimeter, well, you're, you're hitting it in the trees to, to the right. You're, yep. you're slicing. Or if you're closing it, closing your face at, at contact, well, now you're hooking the ball. It only takes a millimeter or two. So golf is such a precise skill to master and that's why when I talk about these little tips in the book, they make all the world of difference, and I can, I can stand behind them because I've, I've mastered them myself, and they work for me. And I know that they're going to work for, for everybody else. But again, it's not a uh, how-to book in a complete sense. Like you said earlier in the interview, this is more uh, uh, an overall uh, story-based adventure about golf. And I've got a lot of funny stories in there. Um, I've got one story that I want to end off with. My dear friend Robbie Robinson. Uh, he, he was a. He's now I think uh, going into his mid seventies, eighties, and um, used to play for the Buffalo Bills in the NFL way back I think in the fifties. Mm. And anyway, he, he he would. I was nervous when I started golfing. The the one thing that I want to uh, encourage golfers uh, not to sweat about is when you, when you go to the tee box and you line up and you, you get in your stance and you're, and you're nervous as, as anything can be because you know you're going to hit a lousy shot. Mm-hmm. Don't worry about it. And, I, and I, I coined the term forget about it. Just get up there, forget about it. Swing the ball, hit it, and, and just let your swing come to you. Uh, just like uh, you know, uh, Will Smith, the caddy in Bagger Vance, was telling yeah. telling the the main character in the movie, and essentially, um, so Robbie was making fun of my waggling antics because I would take like eight minutes to hit the ball, and we were in a sports bar, and he got up and did a whole performance about that, and and so I talk about things like that in the book to remind people that look, it's a, it 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 should be fun, and you should have your own funny stories like this that you should share with your friends and uh and, and I want to eventually start a social media campaign where we can share them together because uh, I'm thinking about a third book of golf gone wild stories <laughs> of the bizarre and brilliant variety that we could put in that book where I ask people to send me stories and I'll put everyone else's stories in the book that's going to be great okay where can we find the book the legend of joe golfer written by chris calwa uh, two suggestions I have. You can go to Amazon.com, and you can get a, an, a, a, a brief one-page book overview, which is a carbon copy of what's actually on the back of the physical book. You can go to a book. Uh, 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 that's the book. Uh, 
that's the book, sorry, that's the book preview, one page. Mm-hmm. Then the, if you click on the box, you go on the author house site. Sorry, my mind's rushing uh, a little bit ahead. Uh, when you go on the site, you have the new author site where they feature four new books, and mine is one of them. You click on my book, then you go to the book overview. You have the one page, uh, kind of like a pitch for me as to why you should buy the book, which is on the back of the physical book. Then you have the book overview in another box if you click onto that, and it's a two-page summary of what the book is about. There's an about the author section. And then there's information uh, that you can click on to that, that you can order the book directly from Author House. Uh, other options are you can go to Amazon, Indigo, Barnes & Noble. Uh, Author House has a, a book buying network, uh, thousands and thousands of book buying networks that you can, but those are the, those are the familiar ones that you, can, uh, that you can look into. And the book is available as a hardcover, softcover, ebook. And in a couple of months, I'm going to be doing an audio book that, that I will actually be reading the book. Um, honestly, I can't afford a professional reader, so I'm, I'm going to have to read the book myself. But I want to read it anyway. Because, hey, you sound fine. You know, they're my stories. That's and, right. and I don't think anybody on the planet's going to be, be better, better, better equipped to read it than I will. I, I don't mean in terms of technical speech and everything I'm talking about in terms of the feeling and the passion that I can put into those stories because they're my stories. Well, we so that'll be available down the pipe probably sometime in the new year and uh, and I'm excited and uh, and the response that we've been getting thus far from from my publicist has been amazing. Uh, we've we've uh, you know, he calls me the next day after he launches a campaign and we had two two additional people calling us for interviews so it's I, I, the message is spreading like wildfire, and I, it doesn't surprise me. And, and I'm not, not trying to be cocky. I'm just, I just believed all along that this kind of story would res- pe- People are going to connect to it, and and and, and it's going to resonate with people. Well, your enthusiasm comes right through the microphone. I can assure you. And uh, it's been a great pleasure and a long talking to you. And I can't wait to pick up the book. the uh, The name of the book again is "The Legend of Joe Golfer." It's written by Chris Kawa. It's published by Author House. Uh, Chris, great to visit with you. Uh, enjoy your golf game uh, when you get ch- a chance to get out of the snow and the slush again. Uh, I hope and you have Brian, a great time. whenever you come up to Toronto, we'll hit the links and we'll hit a, we'll hit a bunch of balls over the trees. <laughs> No, we'll hit them into the trees, Chris. No, no, over the trees. <laughs> oh, oh, sure, right. You've not seen my golf game, have you? Hey, Chris, thanks very much for coming on with us today. We thanks, really Brian, appreciate, appreciate it. it. Absolutely. Chris Callwood, the author of The Legend of Joe Golfer, a salute to the regular player. It's published by Author House. Be sure and pick up a copy. I'm Brian Houston. This is Author Talk. Thanks very much for listening.